0: I've noticed lately that with the publicity of these new weight loss drugs, so too has there been a resurgence or maybe just a reappearance of the bias and discrimination that has always existed around people with excess weight. Welcome back to Health Bite, my podcast where I offer you small, actionable bites towards healthy weight and weight management through greater mental, emotional, and physical well-being. I wholeheartedly believe that our relationship with food is a window into our relationship with ourselves. Understanding this relationship will not only facilitate healthy weight and weight management, but will have rippling effects that impact every aspect of your life. In the nearly two decades that I've worked as an obesity medicine specialist, I have seen firsthand the life-changing effects of this transformative work, and I'm so excited to share my insights with you. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Udeem, and I created this podcast as an alternative to the noise to offer you knowledge-based guidance in the areas of nutrition, fitness, habit change, and mindset that I use with my patients in my medical practice every single day to help them achieve healthy weight and health. More episodes are available at dradrianudimcom slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter and shoot me an email. I'd love to hear about your journey. Okay, here we go. Let's dig in to this week's episode. So I thought for this week's podcast, I would take a step back and share with you some of the teachings that I share with my medical students, my residents, even my colleagues when I talk about excess weight, obesity, and obesity medicine. And I hope in doing so to shed some light on what this condition is so that we can understand it better, so that we can, by understanding, help ourselves more and also have more compassion for ourselves and those around us who are suffering from this condition. We're going to talk a little bit about physiology. We're going to talk about the term obesity, and what it actually means and we're going to talk about why some people have the propensity or the likelihood to gain weight more easily and suffer from excess weight while others do not. And finally, we're going to normalize the condition and talk about how so very prevalent it is. So first, what is obesity? I know it's a term that is not held in high regard it has negative connotations and people are really triggered by that word. And so I refrain from using it in the clinical setting, but it's important to just understand what it is and what it means. So, obesity is a term that describes a certain degree of excess weight and it is defined by something called BMI or body mass index. Now, body mass index, as some of you may know, is a very gross, meaning not refined, equation that basically takes an individual's height and weight into consideration and spits out a number. And there are, quote, normal numbers and then numbers for BMI that are considered to be excessive in terms of excess weight. There's a lot of controversy about the BMI because it does not take into account gender. It does not take into account age. It does not take into account ethnicity or body composition, all things that affect weight and also determine what is considered, quote, normal and what is not. And BMI is just just a static number. So we do have to take it with a grain of salt. But it is what we have in the clinical setting. And also our insurance companies, unfortunately, use BMI in order to rationalize our or doctors prescribing habits, whether or not they're going to approve certain medications. So let's just understand what it means. So a BMI of 30 or greater is considered to be obese, which roughly translates into about 30 pounds of excess weight. So if you have about 30 pounds of excess weight for your height, then your BMI will likely fall into that category of obesity. And that's all it means. It re- represents or reflects a certain BMI. Now, obesity is... This is a condition that has always existed, but certainly the numbers of people who fall into this category have increased over time. So much so that over 40% of Americans are considered to have obesity. So it's helpful to understand why. Why is this condition so prevalent? And what I teach and share with my students is that obesity is multifactorial, meaning that there are many different situations and reasons why we have a higher propensity or why some people have a higher propensity than others for developing this condition. Now, I want to clarify something. Why are we calling it a condition? Why are we calling it a disease? And in fact, the American Medical Association or the AMA over a decade ago defined obesity as a disease. And I wonder how some of you feel about that. I think for some people, it is validating because it gives a name and a understanding of a difficult problem. And so it validates the fact that yes, this is a condition that is hard. I think for others, it becomes pathologizing, meaning it's a label that makes them feel like they have a problem. And Many of us don't want to think that we have a problem. But I think it's important to understand why it is called a disease because it helps us understand the condition and help us have some compassion for why it's so difficult to manage. So basically, a disease is a aberrant or abnormal physiology. It basically means a situation in which our normal systems and processes are not working the way they were intended. And we know that when individuals develop excess weight or develop obesity, certain systems will go in disarray. For example, our hormonal systems, our endocrine systems will go in disarray. One example of that is our hunger hormones. I've explained in prior podcasts what happens when individuals gain weight. We've actually found that their fullness set point changes. So it does take more food for an individual to feel full. In certain conditions, they have hormones that make them crave or want more palatable foods or foods that are higher in calories. There are circumstances in which the relative metabolism or calorie burning function of the body is reduced as compared to others who have a normal BMI. And I I say normal with quotes, because again, as I mentioned, BMI is not perfect. So it's hard to quantify, you know, normal. And also we know that when people try and lose weight and to return to a healthier weight, let's remember that excess weight is associated with medical conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, fatty liver disease, higher incidence of certain cancers like breast, prostate, and colon cancer. So it is a condition that is associated with health problems without adverse health effects. And when people try and lose weight and reduce their calories or increase their expenditures through physical activity, actually those hunger hormones will go up. So hormones that drive hunger will increase, making the individual feel more hungry. And those hormones that make us feel full or enhance satiety are actually reduced. And so this is an aberrant or an abnormal physiology. Our hormones are changing. Our endocrine system is changing as a function of excess weight. And again, by definition, anytime your normal physiology changes, it is classified as a disease. I think this is important. I think this is an important consideration because it removes obesity, I hope, from the domain of a character flaw, which is how it has often been and continues to be perceived. This is a medical condition. This is a health issue. There are definitions, albeit flawed, for obesity and why some people uh, are classified or or how we are classified as such. So now let's talk about why there has been such an increase in the prevalence of obesity. And again, it is multifactorial. So it used to be when I was in medical school, even in residency, and when I first started practicing obesity medicine a little bit over 15 years ago, that we really just talked about it as a calorie game. It's a, We used to say that this is an environmental issue, calories in, car- calories out. So people are consuming more calories in, in highly palatable, energy-dense foods. They are more sedentary, so they're expending less calories out, and therefore, people are gaining weight. And yes, calories and energy expenditure is important in this conversation, but still, why are some people more likely to become overweight? We all know those people. We all have that friend who consumed junk food all the time and was skinny as a rail. Why? And the reason is, again, that there are many other factors that that are going to impact our likelihood to have excess weight. One of them is very uh, common topic of discussion right now, which is the gut microbiome. The gut microbiome is the host of organisms, bacteria most often we talk about, but there are other organisms that live in the gut that are in a symbiotic relationship with us, meaning we scratch their back by providing them with a home and roof over their heads. And they scratch our backs by helping us digest food, by enhancing our immunity. There are actually many things that these bacteria and other organisms do for us by living in our gut. Hi friends, it's Dr. Adrian, and I'm dropping into your podcast to offer a love letter to you. I believe that our hunger represents our unmet emotional and spiritual needs. And by leaning in and listening to our hunger, we have an opportunity to hear our needs and to respond. I know this not only from personal experience, but from listening to the stories of hundreds, if not thousands of patients over the past almost 20 years. I have compiled these stories, including my own, into Hungry for More, stories and science to inspire weight loss from the inside out. This book is not just about weight loss, but about life, and contains lessons that I know to be life-changing. If you don't believe me, head over to my website at dradrianudim.com where you can obtain a free sample or to amazon.com and check out the reviews for yourself. But the gut microbiome can change. It can change due to illness, medications, our diet. There are many ways in which the gut microbiome can shift and it has been shown that certain shifts in the microbiome can impact our ability or the bacteria's ability to harvest energy, which means that when food goes down into the intestine and into the colon, those bacteria that are living down there can be really efficient at extracting calories while other bacteria are not as good at holding onto those calories and so they let them pass. There have been studies that showed that the gut microbiome can impact something like two to 400 calories per day. So imagine if you're harvesting two to 400 more calories per day because of your gut microbiome as compared to your friend Sally, that just puts you at greater likelihood to have excess weight. So the gut microbiome is important. The problem is we don't really know what to do about this. It hasn't been shown, for example, that taking certain probiotics will alter the gut microbiome in a way that will make us less likely to gain weight. So I think this is an evolving area of medicine and research and something that we'll hopefully have more information on in terms of actionable guidance and advice. But right now, I think it is still helpful and important to know that the gut microbes, the gut microbiome can impact our likelihood for weight gain. And that is just one reason why we may experience more weight gain than our our pal. A second reason is something called circadian dyssynchrony. Circadian dyssynchrony is basically just a fancy word that means we're awake when we should be sleeping, we're asleep when we should be awake. So basically night shift workers, people who are up at night, like nurses or truck drivers or any other kind of night worker who is working at night when they should be asleep. It has been shown that circadian dyssynchrony results in weight gain, not for the reasons that you would think. Uh, some people, or you may think, that the reason why people gain weight when they're awake at night is because they're awake more hours of the day and therefore they're eating more. That may be the case, but that's actually not the link between circadian dyssynchrony and weight gain, but it's actually a link in the brain. There is some changes that occur in the appetite centers of the brain that make people more likely to gain weight when they have that desynchrony in their sleep. And so sometimes with my patients, if there's an option or a possibility to change that work schedule, I know that for many there is not, but even to create a shift so that there's more sleep than there has been previously, that can be impactful. Another cause is meal timing. So we used to say that it didn't really matter when you ate or at what times you ate because calories, again, were calories. But we now know that meal timing is important. And that expression that we have that you may have heard that says eat breakfast like a king, dinner like a pauper, meaning have a bigger breakfast and a smaller dinner actually rings true because they've done studies in which they've given they've divided people in two separate categories, given them the same amount of food. In category A or group A, they've told the participants to eat heavier uh, or larger breakfasts and reserve less food for nighttime, whereas group B has been told to limit their intake for breakfast but to consume more at night or for dinner. And they've shown that just by shifting that calorie intake to a later time, eating more calories later at night, they are more likely to gain weight. Some subsequent studies show that this may be, there are many reasons for this, but this may be in part due to how the body, again, harvests energy and calories. And in fact, there's an enzyme that helps us break down fat. So when you consume fat, there's an uh, an enzyme that is going to help you break that down so that you can actually absorb it as opposed to eliminate it. And those enzymes become more hyperactive when people consume food later in the day or more calories later in the day. So just by shifting meal timing, you can increase your propensity for or reduce your likelihood for developing excess weight. Medications There are certain medications that put us at risk for excess weight. Classically, these are antidepressants, antipsychotics. So mood stabilizers and psychiatric medications are very well known to cause weight gain. Certain seizure medications increase the likelihood for uh, weight gain, um, as well as some blood pressure medications. Um, beta blockers or any those drugs that end in l o l or LOL, like labetalol, metoprolol. These medications have also been associated with weight gain. Genetics. We know that there is a genetic component to excess weight. So there's twin studies where they've looked at twins who've been separated at birth and who live in different environments a quote obesogenic environment an environment in which the family members are overweight as compared to an environment in which the family members are lean and they've shown that that genetic component carries despite the environment. So there are environmental factors, but there are also genetic factors, but believe it or not, the genetic factors are not as strong as you would think. And we have never, or we have not to this date found any candidate genes that are responsible for kind of normal garden variety weight gain. There are certain rare genetic conditions for which we have genes that are implicated for excess weight. But for the normal kind of increase in weight that we're seeing, we don't really or have not really identified genes. However, what we have identified is a phenomena called epigenetics. And epigenetics is very interesting because it is the way in which our genes change because of our environment. And it affects whether or not DNA is going to be turned on or turned off. So for example, I'm going to give you a a kind of a nonsensical example, but just to explain, let's say that there is a gene for blue eyes that gets passed down from mother to child. There are other genes that regulate the blue eye gene and either turn it on or off The same goes for excess weight, metabolic conditions, pretty much every gene that we have, we have the ability of turning it on or off. And they have found, or we have found, that epigenetic phenomena are at play, meaning the environment in which not only you grew up, but your mother grew up in, what your mother and or father may or may not have consumed, whether or not they were smokers whether or not they were exercisers and engaged in physical activity, can actually impact the genes that they pass on to their children and to their children's children. So while we don't actually have genes that are coding for obesity, we have many and much evidence for epigenetic phenomena, which shows that the environment and the factors under which a baby is born or conceived can impact the likelihood for excess weight. Kind of on the same lines is something called obesogens. So obesogens are factors in our environment. They're pollutants in our environment that can affect the endocrine axis or the, you know, endocrinologic system in our body and impact an individual's ability to gain weight. For example, they have found that BPA is an obesogen. So BPA is a chemical that was very commonly found in plastics. Um, There has been, you know, a lot of campaigns to remove that. uh, And now plastics are often labeled BPA or BPA free, but it still exists in plastics and also in tin that line canned foods, for example. And they've shown that BPA is an obesogen. It can actually affect the endocrine access such that it increases the likelihood for weight gain. Similarly, they have found obesogens in plastics. In fact, there was a report that showed that certain plastics that were found in car seats or used in car seats had this particular obesogen that made an individual more likely to gain weight. There are a whole host of them, Uh, smoking or uh, smoke, nicotine smoke is considered to be an obesogen, certain pesticides and certain additives that are found in commercialized products. And so obesogens are something that also increases the risk. And then the last thing I want to talk about is childhood trauma. Some really interesting data came out of Kaiser San Diego many uh, decades ago in terms of the link between trauma or what they called to be adverse childhood events and the likelihood to go on and develop obesity amongst other medical conditions. So the backstory to this is that there was a physician who ran a preventive medicine clinic and basically was helping people lose weight. It was kind of extreme, his strategy of weight loss. But he found that certain people would have a much faster weight regain. And after talking to his patients, he noticed this pattern that individuals who had faster regain also had reported some kind of history of abuse or trauma. He later took this information to the CDC and the CDC or with the help of the CDC, they devised a large scale study in which they identified nine different types of adverse childhood events. So they had people fill out a questionnaire asking them questions like, was there verbal abuse in the household? Was there physical abuse, sexual abuse? Was anyone incarcerated? Was there divorce? So various measures that quantified traumatic or adverse events in childhood and also got some biometric information, their weight, as well as followed them over time to see if they developed certain medical conditions. And they found that the risk of developing obesity increased with the number of adverse childhood events. Do you want to know what the most common adverse childhood events was? You may think it was sexual abuse. That's what I thought it would be. Or maybe, um, I don't know, incarceration of a parent. But actually, verbal abuse was the adverse event that put people at the greatest risk for developing obesity. And I think that's something that is fairly common, but it increased the the likelihood by about 47%. Different kinds of of trauma and adverse childhood events or events in childhood that have are difficult, they increase the risk and you'd also be Fascinated, I think, to know why. Because you may think the reason for this is that people are eating more. Maybe people who had adverse childhood events are using food to soothe. But that's actually not the case. They found that adverse childhood events caused changes in the DNA, caused epigenetic changes and methylations in the DNA that put these individuals at greater risk for developing obesity as well as other conditions like autoimmune disease, certain cancers. And so this is a very important link between um, trauma and the likelihood for an individual to become obese or to develop excess weight. This is a handful um, of the more common ones. There are others, but I think it's important to understand because, while we know that excess calories and sedentary behavior or inactivity puts us at risk for weight gain, we also know of people, like we said, that that live that way and don't experience excess weight. So there are other factors at play that make one more likely to go on and develop excess weight. Now, I don't want to give the message that if an individual has experienced any of these things, is on certain medications that promote weight gain, is a night shift worker, has had childhood abuse or trauma, that they are doomed in any way, shape or form. I'm just trying to validate the understanding and the experience that these people may have a greater likelihood to gain weight but that excess weight is not insurmountable. And if you find yourself in a difficult situation in which you have experienced excessive weight gain, particularly if it's resulted in medical conditions like high blood pressure or cholesterol or infertility or sleep apnea, and you haven't been able to manage this problem on your own, I do recommend that you reach out to a medical professional that has been trained in this area, that understands these medications and can help you with or without medications, however is appropriate, to manage this this condition with guidance and with understanding. Of course, there are so many other factors at play. And if you're interested in understanding the physiology of obesity and excess weight, I encourage you to go back to past health bite episodes. I have episodes talking about the hormones involved in hunger, the hormones and hormonal changes that occur in with weight loss, why emotional eating is hardwired in our physiology how difficult emotions can impact our hunger hormones and our likelihood to gain weight. I also have episodes on what it means to have excess weight and what medical conditions are associated with it. There's a whole ton of information out there in past Health Bite episodes. And last but not least, if there's something not there that you're curious about, reach out. Head over to my website at dradrianudim.com, shoot me an email and let me know what you're interested in hearing about. I hope that this episode has been educational and informative. If you love this episode, I encourage you to head back to your app wherever you listen to Health Bite. scroll down and leave us a review. We don't want your stars or just your stars. We want to know why you love this podcast. Incidentally, our number of listeners has grown exponentially over the last several weeks. So I want to thank you for your listenership and thank you for your time. Our time is our most valuable resource, and I'm so grateful for you to spend that time with me. That's all for this week. It's been lovely speaking with you, and I look forward to seeing you here next week on Health Bite. Until then, bye now.